five, four, three, two, one. Welcome. You have entered the Kai Corso experience. What's going on, Connie Corso fam? It's your boy, Johnny Doe, coming at you again with another installment of the Connie Corso Experience Podcast, your one-stop shop podcast for all your Connie Corso ownership needs. I am not a professional trainer. I'm not a professional behaviorist. I'm not a vet. I'm not a nutritionist. I am a professional Connie Corso owner, which means I take Connie Corso ownership extremely serious. I believe in enabling all owners to be the best owner they can be for their four-legged friend. No matter really what your dog breed is, I believe that, but especially for the breed of Connie Corso because they require that leadership in their pack. You, Your family is the pack, and if there's not a strong leader, your Connie Corso is going to feel a little lost, and uh, you can have some issues, let's just say. So uh, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So today we have a very, very special episode. Um, now, if you are an avid listener to this podcast, which um, you know some of you are, some of you might be brand new, but if you are someone that's listened to this podcast for a period of time, you know I like to take listener questions and I will profile them on the show or do an entire episode on that question if I feel like it's relevant or we haven't covered it enough or I'm getting um, many questions about this. And this topic isn't something that we've talked about before per se. We've talked about um, particular issues with reactivity and aggression and stuff, which to be honest with you, that is always going to be a topic of conversation with this breed because anytime that you run into uh, any trouble or problems early in your training, later on in your training, um, really at any uh, point, at some point, almost every Corso owner will um, have a slight issue with this, If especially if they're a new Corso owner. Now, you veterans out there that you've had this breed for a long time, uh, you might um, deal with it a little bit different or don't have an issue with it. But I find that a lot of people with not just Corsos, but any kind of very dominant um, breed dog, you can run into this issue. So the topic will come up a lot. But I want to talk about uh, a topic that we really haven't talked about on this podcast before, when it comes to uh, aggression, um, when it comes to reactivity, we always talk about it being kind of a genetic component. There's another type that comes from mistreatment of dogs or abuse of dogs. And in this particular episode, I have a listener that has a Connie Corso rescue um, and rescued him from a facility that, you know, kind of um, most of their dogs came from rough backgrounds, let's say, and they and they tend to be a little bit more aggressive type dogs. So I had a uh, gentleman contact me named Lee from London. And if you're listening, Lee, uh, my wife used to live in Surrey. Um, which I believe is not is somewhere around where you live in in um, that southeast London area, if, if my geography is correct. She went to uh, elementary school there. She's an American, but she her her father or her entire family lived over there for a while. She went to elementary school is what we call it. Primary school is I think what you call it. But without further ado, let's get into Lee's issue. Um, so I took his, um, I, I had some conversations via email and I told Lee, I said, Hey, you know, man, there's a lot of 
meat on this bone, we we probably need to do at least an episode about this issue or these issues that you're having. And uh, Lee is a very common type of dog owner that I find that they have the best intentions. They're doing most everything correct that they that are, are in their sphere of knowledge. And um, they're at their wits end because they're hitting a roadblock and they don't know how to get past it. Um, and good intentions don't always work out, right? We have to have those tools in our toolbox. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know. That's the whole reason why I started doing this podcast is because as a lifelong dog lover and dog owner, um, I didn't realize how much I didn't know when I got uh, Romulus and how much there was to learn about training a dog like this and controlling a dog like this and what it really meant to be a leader for these dogs. So Lee's situation is somewhat unique um, from what I've talked about before. So I'm going to read some excerpts excerpts from his email. And I know it's it's always um, entertaining to hear me read, but I'm not going to read all of his emails because we we went back and forth and and he has a lot of stuff. Um, but I, I picked out the stuff that is very pertinent that I want you to know about his dog, Dylan. Now, Dylan um, is a younger male, Connie Corso. Um, he rescued him um, about three months ago. He's around a year old at this point. And so one of the things that I... I think I've brought up before, but I think it's extremely relevant is if you have a male that has any behavior issues, it's really at its worst from about, you know, that seven, nine month mark all the way up to about a year and a half. Um, That's when the testosterone gets flowing. That's when, you know, you're going to get that second fear stage around the same time you're really going to find the chinks in your armor and you're going to see um, if, if you're not really structured and disciplined, you're, you're going to have some setbacks, which is normal. Um, but with this breed, the setbacks seem more severe a lot of times because especially if they're reactivity or dog aggression, people aggression, something like that, it can really put you in a funk because you think, you know, if you're too critical, you you start getting self-conscious and think that you've screwed something up. And sometimes you have, and sometimes it's just the dog is is now got some confidence and they're going to react differently to the training and stimulus, um, especially once they get that testosterone flowing through their body. Now, um, I'm going to address this topic just because it, it does come up, you know, the the topic of neutering your dog. I am not a vet, like I said, um, so everything I say on this is is just my opinion and my opinion only, but uh, do the research is all I'm going to say. It's not smart for large breed dogs to for you to remove their testicles before they are uh, reach full maturity. I don't care what your vet says, um, and I know I'm not a vet, but I, like I said, there's a lot of research out there. There's a there's a ton of medical, like actual veterinarians that aren't trying to get your money that have written papers and they've done studies. Um, and yes, you can help certain things by removing and fixing your dog, but it doesn't fix everything. And for some people like myself, when I fixed Bruno, it didn't change his personality whatsoever. And we did it early enough. It just didn't. And so what you are going to do is cause a lot of ripple effects or you can cause a lot of ripple effects with their overall health. So like I said, do that research. So um, I bring that up because he mentioned that he's unneutered. It's something that does come up from time to time. I, you know, I I just, uh, I've had some bad experiences with neutering other dogs that I've had, um, male dogs that I, um, neutered them later in life and that seemed like they 
they had no health problems till after I neutered them. So like I said, do your research. This is just an opinion show in the sense of, you know, I'm not going to sit here and give you hard facts and shame on anybody that does in the dog community because it's <laughs> mostly subjective anyway. No matter what trainer you're working with, no matter what vet you're working with, there's so much situational things or so much so many variables that um, you always have to take really all advice with a grain of salt. But let's get into this. So uh, Lee said that his, um, let's see. So Dylan is, like I said, he's probably around a year old now um, or getting close to it. Um Okay, so the first line that I have highlighted here is um, it was hard to judge um, how badly he's been treated, but it looks like he has cigarette burns on his face. Numerous scars all over his face and ears. Um, He was malnourished, underweight when he got him. Okay, so the the first concern... When you see scars on a dog's face, is you got to wonder, especially corsos, if they were subjected to dog fighting, um, things like that. So you you could run into issues with dog aggression. Now you're gonna hear that Dylan does not have that issue, so I would not say those scars are probably from dog fighting, um, in in my opinion. But uh, we're we're gonna move on from from this statement. But I, I want to set the the table that. It sounds like that this dog, not even from that statement, but what I'm going to read later on, that you can tell that this dog's probably experienced some trauma. We've talked about genetic components. We've never talked about the nurture part, but here's the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, for everybody out there, if your dog has been mistreated or you made some training mistakes, that's so much easier to fix than some genetic component or some personality trait that your dog might never get over. Just think about what your personality is. If you're an introvert, you can pretend to be an extrovert, but you'll never be an extrovert. You can try to be more extroverted, but you cannot determine those things. And so if the learned behavior, you can unlearn it as well, especially when you have a younger dog. So um, that's, I guess that's the good news. All right, so let's move on. Okay, so after he told me all about Dylan's background, um, let's see, he said, within two days, Dylan was so loving and affectionate after he got him from the the dog rescuer, the pound, or whatever the case was. Um, And the bond was made so quickly, he also showed signs of protecting almost from the onset. So a couple things that I want to establish. Okay. When you have an abused dog, one of the traits that you're going to see is they are going to, now we all know Corsos bond with their owners like no other dog, but abused dogs really, really do bond very strongly. And so just imagine a Corso, which already I mean, will follow you all around the house, will protect you with its life without ever training it. And now it's been abused and you're the first human, possibly, that's kind of where I'm going to go with this, the first human that, that might have showed you some love and respect and treated you fairly and kindly. You're, that bond is going to be so strong that you're going to hear in a little bit it's going to cause other problems. So that's the first thing. So the first thing I want you guys to remember, Dylan was abused. Second, Dylan made an instant connection. And third, he started protecting like right off the bat. Okay. All right. The next thing I highlighted was Dylan has no issues whatsoever with any dog of any shape or form. So, This is the statement that made me realize those scars on his face were not from other dogs, which is a very good sign too, because from a genetic standpoint, you know, he, he, he tells stories of going to dog parks and, 
and Dylan's always submissive and and uh, plays really well with every other dog. Even if dogs are growling and barking in his face, he does really good. So this shows that he has the the right personality type and the, the right genetic component to be a very good dog without any kind of reactivity. Okay, so moving on. He was extremely submissive, always the first one to roll on his back. Uh, not so much now these last couple of weeks, but his nature has not changed and he still shows no signs of any aggression, um, even when told off by smaller dogs or the grumpy big ones. So he's still talking about dogs here, not people. Okay. Um, on a whole socially in the parks, he really... I really could not ask for anything more. Um, so, and he even makes reference later on when he's around people with dogs, Dylan is fine too, okay? It's when we remove the dogs that you're going to see that we're having some issues with Dylan here. So, moving on. <clears throat> um, Dylan comes to work with me. I have a word working shop with an office attached. <clears throat> He has massive separation issues being my second issue. Okay, so we're we're starting to paint the picture here, okay? He brings the dog with him to work because the dog has massive separation issues. Um, okay, now... Now the problem is if anyone comes into the office space, um, even work colleagues who Dylan has known for months and takes strokes from, he will shoot up and charge at them, starting with a bark and then a full-on growl. So these are people that know Dylan. Dylan knows them. And instantly when he sees that door open, uh, he gets extremely protective. Um, this is not just reactivity, but what we would call resource guarding. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to break down all this after I kind of get through, um, what the overall issue is. <clears throat> now, for those who know him, he will stop as, uh, he reaches them and calm down straight away as, as he gets close to them. However, um, take this scenario for people entering who he knows not so well. Again, same thing, barks and growls with a menace, uh, which, as you know, is pretty intimidating when it's a Cane Corso coming at you. And if we add a stranger's delivery man, et cetera, um, in the mix, Dylan protection skills are maxed out. Now I got Dylan through an animal rescue sanctuary, although... Placed in a pound, it was these guys who made me aware he had to get out before um, his time ran out because these guys just deal with death row dogs, basically. So um, so this, this dog was on death's door when he rescued him. He was at a facility that it's usually dogs that went through some trauma. Now we're seeing that Dylan, um, you know, he, he gets extremely protective at people or from uh, people he even knows, but then he calms down once he 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 realizes there's no threat. But then people he doesn't know, he's still not convinced that it's not a threat. So you have to convince this dog every time that you're not a threat, even if he knows you. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so this one particular instance that Lee's going to talk about is this guy said he was fine with dogs. And waved his hand over Dylan's head. He reached to to this. Um, uh, wait. He reacted to this and gone for him. So Dylan kind of lunged or, or snapped at him. I managed to pull him back in time, but he did manage to bite his jacket. He attempted a second bite again, and I took him away. So this is a step, one step past reactivity. So Romulus, for instance, is reactive, but he's never once bit anybody. He's never once snapped anybody. He's never once tried to um, uh, to actually uh, mouth. So that's a step further, okay? 
that is where you really get into issues where the dog is in danger. Not just other people being in danger, but if he bites the wrong person, you know what's going to happen. Um, hopefully the person will be okay, but that person's not going to be happy about it. And there, it, that if that happens enough, your dog will probably have to be put down. And so that, that is a huge concern. It's a huge, um, huge concern. Uh, I think, um, Caesar Milan calls it like a, was it a red level dog or something like that? One that will actually bite a human being. So that is a, a real serious issue that I'm taking extremely serious. Um, I know Lee's taking extremely serious, but that's the whole reason why I'm doing this episode because I want to, I want to try to help. Okay. And help Lee understand what, what's going on in Dylan's head. Okay. Like I said, he's not neutered. Um, Lee being a, a fantastic dog owner that he is says that he has a trainer and she hasn't heard of the breed and, um, and he's not, I don't think he's super confident that she's going to be able to help because, you know, like he said, this dog's not a Labrador referring to things that I've said before. Um, and so I applaud Lee for trying to find a trainer, but like I've said before, you've got to be really careful who trains your Connie Corso if they're not familiar with the breed. Um, it's not that they're going to necessarily mess up your dog, but they could. They, they could do something that's not good. I mean, uh, if it's one of those trainers that's a little too heavy-handed, they could actually make the reactivity worse. So you definitely want to find a professional that has dealt with not only these dogs, but this particular problem. And even if they haven't dealt with a Connie Corso, make sure they've dealt with very um, dominant, aggressive type protection dogs, and they might be able to help you. Okay, moving on. Okay, and so that was his first issue. Issue number two, they're all connected, so that's why I'm reading it together. He said, finally, any tips on the separation anxiety? I cannot leave him alone. He will (laughs) um, go to the bathroom and go crazy and chew up uh, everything, Uh, climbing on tables, cabinets, you name it. Um, he just goes, you know, ape, you know what, <clears throat> ape stuff. I'm currently sleeping on the sofa with him every night. I got a crate and I'm working on this. He will go uh, to his bed, meaning his crate. But once that door locks, the stress level is, goes goes up a notch and gets pretty chaotic, I guess. Um, and this is what tugged at my heartstrings because I've been there. He said, I'm doing the best that I can. Um, And so is my wife. And we're having regular meltdowns, but lucky enough at different times. Um, I know how tough it is when you have issues with your dog. My wife and I have, I cannot express on these airwaves how great my relationship is with my wife. I mean, she's my rock. She's my best friend. I do everything with her. Um... I, I cannot express in words. I've yet to find the words in the English language that can help me properly articulate the emotions I feel for my wife. With that being said, at our lowest moment with Romulus, um, there was tension between us. Now, we didn't necessarily fight with each other, but it, it caused a lot of stress in the relationship. And especially for women like my wife that are, I don't want to say my wife lacks confidence, but she lacks confidence in um, dog ownership with these type of dogs because she's smaller. She's not an aggressive person. She gets intimidated easily. And so it was hard when Romulus was um, not wanting to listen to her, when he didn't respect her as as a pack leader, um, and he was so uh, aggressive with defending his territory to my other dog. It, you know, it, she, she got to the point where she was wondering if we were going to be able to keep Romulus, if she wanted to keep him, meaning she didn't have any bond with him. Um, you know, it just got really bad. 
Um, now I just got back in town from being out of town for a week. And my wife, like all those pictures I just put on my Instagram with him playing with his purple jolly ball. My wife took all those pictures because they have an insane bond now. I mean, he doesn't even freak out when I leave now because he just loves spending time with his mom as well. And so he's still happy when I'm home and, you know, he's sitting right outside my door right now, but he has a very special bond with my wife and they got through, they rebuilt their relationship and through good pack leadership, my wife was able to shore up some of the issues she was having with him, realized that it was more due to her lack of being that leader, lack of confidence, lack of discipline and structure across the board. And same with myself, you know, we, we corrected those problems and, and it took time, but we, we couldn't ask for a better dog now. So, um, that's why, you know, it really is the reason I do this podcast. I don't make money at it. I've said it a million times. I have a full-time job. I even have another podcast that I do. Um, I do this for the love of the breed, for the love of dogs and for the love of you guys out there knowing that their struggles and I and I just don't find the material I couldn't find anything that really helped me. And so I said I, I want to do this to for those people that are looking for something and they they find all the garbage on YouTube or other podcast you know, there's I mentioned this one podcast that I downloaded and I'm not I'm not gonna mention the name, but it was some of the worst dog training advice ever. And this is a certified trainer, you know, whatever. So I, I want to try to help, uh, people like Lee. So, so the first thing let's get into, um, no, let's talk about the second problem because the second problem goes right into the first problem. So the separation anxiety is really at the root of your problems. Really the root of your problems is this dog was abused. One, uh, okay, it, it's distrusting of strangers because of that abuse. It's distrusting of humans that it's not bonded with. Okay, um, and it finally found a human that is worth protecting, and so it's it's willing to put its life on the line to protect that human because it has a great life with that human, which is Lee and Dylan. Saying, I don't want that to ever go away. So Dylan has the best intentions. He's just going about it the wrong way because no one's ever showed him what right looks like. And so that separation anxiety is 100% due to him being abused, not having confidence, and is very, very stressed when Lee's not around because Dylan is back in a situation where he has to, it's that fight or flight thing, and, and the world is a scary place, and even though Lee rescued him and Lee is doing a great job um, with loving Dylan, um, there probably hasn't been a lot of discipline and structure um, and then confidence rebuilding into Dylan because a confident dog does not need to charge at people. Um, he even said, um, let's see. Yeah, let me let me read. So I forgot I had this second email here. So let me read some more of of this because it's relevant. Now, two occasions, uh, once with me and once with the missus, he growled at other customers coming into the shop. With me, it was two months ago, and it was a short growl to a lady coming in. Um, that was at the checkout. He was still sitting um, in with us, and it had only been four weeks. Um, so I didn't get too concerned with this. Okay. Um, Dylan was loving and affectionate, plenty of cuddles, um, and wacky play, but weirdly, if anybody went to the toilet or left the room and came back and minutes later, Dylan would growl at them. So he would have guests over at the house. Dylan would play with them, would, would just be very comfortable as soon as that person left and the people were approaching, um, you had some reactivity. Now, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna finish reading the rest of this. There's only a couple more lines that I highlighted. Um, 
We have literally just got home from walks in the woods with untold dogs saying hello to him and him having a great play. Family saying hello and men with dogs passing with no problem whatsoever. Apart uh, from, of course, irresponsible dog people who let their small dogs be aggressive and laugh it off. (laughs) Yes, that is one of my pet peeves. Um, Yeah, (laughs) we won't get into that. So here's here's the thing is um, it sounds like Dylan is reactive toward men and women. So it has nothing to do. Sometimes it's it's men because that's who uh, their abuser was. So he just sees people other than his bonded pack leaders as being the adversaries. Okay, so that is the 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 one thing that I wanted to establish there is that when there's guests at the house, Dylan. Um, reacts to them coming back from the bathroom. Now, this could be a couple different things. Now, obviously, the abuse, the reactivity, but why is it that he reacts to them when they're coming back? Well, the first thing is this. Remember, dogs are nose, eyes, ears. So the nose is the first thing, the eyes they react to, and then uh, and then the sound of your voice. Um, so what I've run into with with uh, dogs before is you might want to get Dylan's eyes checked. That that's the first thing that I would I would bring up is because I had a dog with really poor vision, and he was very reactive until he realized who that person was. Uh, he just saw a motion blur, uh, you know, approaching, and so you don't have to take him to the vet to do this. Um, I would first rule it out by having them sit and throw them a treat. And if they can catch it in their mouth, then they probably don't have an issue with their eyesight. If they were like Bruno and it bounces off the top of his head and he never saw it coming, then you know something's up. Okay, so you always want to know what you're dealing with. I've had a deaf dog. I've had blind dogs. Um, There's different training that needs to take place for dogs that have impairments in that way. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. Second thing is um, obviously his default setting is to be reactive until he realizes maybe who it is. And and uh, you have to reestablish that trust with him. So I do see a significant difference in his description and Lee's description on, hey, when it's somebody he knows, he runs up, growls, and then once he realizes wh- who it is, he calms down. So like I said, might have some vision problems there that that um, I would definitely try try to just um, at least uh, confirm or deny if that's an issue. Um, but the, the concerning thing is is with people he doesn't know thinking that he needs to bite at them. Um, and I hate to tell you this, Lee, but your separation anxiety you're making it worse by taking him to work with you. The reactivity where he's snapping at people is perpetuated by you um, always kind of having the dog around. And so it's it's kind of an oxymoron because you go, hey, I, you know, um, I can't leave or he freaks out. But if I take him, he's, he freaks out in a different way. Um, so the first thing that we got to do is none of this is going to go away until we can get rid of that separation anxiety because I do think that's playing in to what's called resource guarding is you are the resource and he needs to protect you from the world because he realizes how crappy the world is because it it abused him. The world is a scary place to Dylan and you are the one sanctuary that Dylan has and he will he will protect that at all costs. Um, so that's one of the reasons why like the cage or the, the kennel is a trigger for him as well when that door shuts, because, uh, he has negative experiences with that, no matter if it was being locked up at the pound or however these people mistreated him. So that's something that's going to take significant, significant amount of time to recondition. So I've mentioned in previous episodes how to help dogs with separation anxiety. So let's talk about that first. Dogs with separation anxiety, um, you know, you really have to work your way up to it. Now, 
We're going to talk about structure and discipline, and we're going to talk about being that strong pack leader because that has to happen with any training that you do first and foremost. But, you know, let's let's talk about the separation anxiety. So where most people go wrong when they are trying to teach their dog that, hey, when I leave, I'm coming back, is they'll, they leave for an extended period of time. Sounds like your dog goes absolutely crazy. Um, and then you come back and you go, well, I can't ever leave him alone. But it probably only happened a few times. You, you never got to the point where you can push your way through it. You've got to work your way up to it. And how you do that is you leave for 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Like put up a camera. Uh, and this is what I tell everybody. If you have home cameras like I do, or if you don't, get your iPhone out, your smartphone hit record, set up the camera where it'll show where the dog's at and what the dog's doing and leave for 15 seconds, come back and look to to watch what your dog's behavior was. So set up a camera and leave for 15, 30 seconds at the most. Come back, review the film, see what happens, okay? So now you kind of know at least what he's doing when you're leaving for 30 seconds, okay? Um, And... What you want to do is um, when you come back, you definitely don't want to give them too much attention or affection, give them treats, anything like that, okay? You always reward a dog when it's at the calmest state or whatever state you're trying to reward. You're rewarding the mindset. You're not rewarding the behavior. The behavior comes from the mindset, but you might have a dog that's sitting there, but he's, he's, he's on nine. And, I mean, he's like redlining, but he's just controlling it. So if you give him a reward, he's actually thinking, oh, this is what I'm, I'm feeling anxious. So this feeling is what gets me rewarded. It's, they sometimes don't make that correlation with the actual action of sitting because they're also smelling. They're also looking. They might also be wagging their tail. There might be two or three things going on so they don't know what they're being rewarded except the state of mind that they're in. So you have to make sure that your dog is in the correct state of mind before you give him any reward. That's why why when I came home, or I used to come home and Romulus just went apeshit, you have to ignore them. Um, You ignore them, you don't interact with them, you don't pet them until you see them start to calm down and then you give them a pet. Once they start getting amped, you you stay away from them. With Romulus, I would give him a command, a place command to go to his bed. Once he laid in his bed for a good 10 seconds, then I would greet him. So he saw that the the goal was when you see me come home, you can get excited, but run to your bed, pause for 10 seconds, and then I'm going to let you, you know, react and 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 love on me and and kiss me and everything else. Um, and then he gets rewarded where I take him out and we play jolly ball right when I get home. But he does not get played with until he acts appropriately. So I'm rewarding that. So go, go ahead and do that. All those steps that I just said, but do it after just leaving for 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, and then wait about 10 minutes, and then leave again for maybe a minute. The whole time, make sure that you're recording so you can see when your dog starts to get some anxiety and start to panic. Maybe it barks. Maybe it starts walking, pacing back and forth. It starts panting excessively. It starts tearing stuff up. Um, and then and then work with that with coming back, um, having it calm down, and then you leaving again. Now, the one thing that I'll also mention that people do wrong is when they leave, they give too much acknowledgement to the dog. They go up to him and, see you later, pal. I'll see you later. And they make it a big deal. Bye-bye. When I walk out uh, to go to work in the morning, I don't even acknowledge Romulus. He's laying there in bed, and I just walk out and leave. I don't make it a big deal when I when I leave, and I don't make it a big deal when I come home. If you make it a big deal, then it kind of time stamps that you are leaving, and it's time to be anxious. Just Just let it be like anything else. But you have to condition your dog to that. They're not going to just understand it without you making them understand. So now do that multiple times a day. I mean, dozens of times on your day off, just leave, come back, leave, come back, leave, come back. 
and be getting in those reps. And remember, you don't reward the dog until they are calm. Okay? When they're calm, when you come back, then they're going to probably, you know, after like the 12th time you do it, they're going to realize, oh, he's going to come right back because he always does. Okay? And they're going to be calm. You're going to come back and they're going to be calm again. And then once they're calm, then they get that love and affection. Then the next day you do it again, but this time it's two minutes. And then the next time it's three minutes. Then the next time it's seven minutes. Then the next time it's 15 minutes. And yes, this does take time. But while you're recording, if you see that the dog after, let's say the 15 minute mark, that at the 11 minute mark is when it starts freaking out, then you move it back to 12 minutes. So the, the goal is you don't want to ever let it get to that reactive state. You condition it and you keep pushing the time away further until you can leave for an hour. And once you can leave for an hour, then it's just a matter of time before you can leave to two hours because dogs after a certain time, they really have no concept of time. They don't know if a 10 minutes has passed or two hours. So if you can get to an hour, hour and a half, um, you're going to, you're going to be able to increase that exponentially, um, you know, over a shorter period of time, but don't leave them home alone for eight hours right off the bat. That's what freaks dogs out or even four hours. The longest you should leave them is maybe two hours and do that many times. Then it's three hours. Then it's four hours. Then it's five hours. If you will do that to the point where the dog understands every time you leave, they don't know if it's two hours or five hours. They just know you're coming back. So they don't need to freak out. They don't need to have undue anticipation. They know you're coming back. Because dogs, from a psychological standpoint, when a hunting team goes out um, or a, a pack goes out to hunt, if there are some dogs that, that stay back and fewer dogs come back, they just assume those dogs got killed during the hunt. Another predator got them, uh, animal got them, whatever. And so anytime a dog is no longer in the pack, they just assume the worst. It's the exact same thing for you, and you have to condition them to understand that when you leave for a period of time, doesn't mean that you died. You are coming back. Like Romulus used to literally go on hunger strikes when I would leave. So if I left for two or three days, sometimes he wouldn't eat until the third day, until he was really, really hungry. Now, uh, my wife was telling me, you know, this is the first time I left for a week in a while. And she said that he just ate great every single night. So that shows that one, he has a great bond with my wife. And two, that um, he was not fearing that I wasn't coming back. He he knew I was gone, but he also knew that eh, he'll come back, you know. So you got to work your way up to that. Once you have a little bit of that separation anxiety, like where you can leave for an hour or two, then that's proof of concept that you will get there eventually where you can leave him by himself. Then you can start with the crate and stuff. And you can do it with the crate, like right off the bat. You crate train them the exact same way. You only leave them in there for 15 seconds. When they come out, as long as they're not bouncing off the walls, you give them a sit, stay, you reward them and repeat. It's the exact same thing with the crate training as if you're just leaving them in the backyard, leaving them in your house, whatever. I don't uh, leave Romulus in a crate. He just hangs out in the house all day and he's perfectly fine. Um, so that is what I would do with that. Once you start having that separation anxiety and that dog starts understanding that he doesn't have to freak out anytime you're not around, um, then simultaneously you have to make sure that you are having lots of rules and structure and discipline in your house. They have to see you as that pack leader. And why that's important is because when we get into the topic of resource guarding, when you when you do bring them to the office, which I would not recommend doing every single day, um, I would definitely be working toward that that's not the goal. But, but when you do, and he's around people, 
if you are that strong leader, if they are confident in themselves and that separation anxiety uh, drilling that I was just talking about will help build their confidence along with the other training that you do, making sure that you have lots of structure, you set them up with realistic goals that they can meet, you give them place commands before they eat, you make sure that they have their territory that they go to, their neutral area when you come home. You have lots of rules for your dog. You're constantly making them earn everything in the house where they see you as that pack leader and they wouldn't even think of making a decision without clearing it um, through you first. Once you do that, you're going to notice that your dog is not going to feel the need to have to protect you And it's going to be doing less resource guarding. Now, the problem is that if you're having other issues where um, it sees people in a negative light, even if your dog isn't resource guarding you, it can still be reactive toward people on its own because they fear that person doing some kind of harm to them. They're not necessarily protecting you, they're protecting themselves. But when you truly become that pack leader and they have supreme confidence in your leadership, they know that you're not going to allow anyone to hurt them. And when they someone does come in, learn how to properly introduce your dog to them. Um, make sure that people don't come up to your dog. You have people sit there, okay, And what I would do and how I've done it before is have the people there, then you bring your dog into that space. So they're not protecting that space. They're not guarding that space. They're the ones entering that space and someone else is there. Have that person not acknowledge your dog, not look at them, be sitting in a very submissive or even neutral posture, meaning they're not standing over them. They're just sitting there. Let the dog come up and sniff. Don't even pet the dog. Don't acknowledge the dog. And just get the dog comfortable with people just sitting there. Then after a few moments, uh, hours, days, whatever you deem your dog is ready, then you can have the people start interacting with the dog. Then give those people treats. When the dog comes up and wants affection and, and acts appropriately, they get rewarded from that person. So they start making that connection that that person is a source of reward. Like, hey, when I go up and I wag my tail and I sit in front of somebody and I'm a good boy, they will give me food. And they will start making that connection that, and you start to rewire those synapses in their brain where they start seeing people as trustworthy and and, and uh, sources of not only treats, but entertainment and affection. So at first you want your dog neutral then you can start rewarding, but make sure the reward comes from those strangers or those people your dogs are interacting with. Then after they get really good at that, then they can meet maybe strangers in your area, but still allow your dog to go up to them. This is not a breed you want strangers walking up to them. You're setting yourself up for failure sooner or later if you do that. Now, There are certain dogs, and your dog might be one of them once we get past this trauma, but there are certain dogs that they're going to be fine with that. Romulus is is always leery. He's You can do it, and many people have, but he doesn't like it. So I go out of my way to make sure people just don't come up and start pitting him on top of his head, okay? So once you do those conditioning drills, once you get you know, some people to help you out and say, hey, will you just sit here and I'm going to let him come in and not pay attention, not be reactive. Once he's in a good mindset, reward. Exact same thing when you're, before you let him out of the house, before you let him out of the car, when you're at work, reward good behavior. You don't have to necessarily give him a command. When they're in the right mindset, reward that. And when they're, Uh, even a little bit reactive, give them a correction, tell them to go sit where they're supposed to sit. Once they've calmed down, reward that, okay? And that correction could be a collar pop. It could just be a command. I like the timeout strategy where I make my dog go lay somewhere in his bed. Once Romulus calms down, he gets rewarded. So 
all of those things that you need to do, they're, they're all interconnected. But just understand that they're, it's all because your dog has some wiring issues with how it sees human beings and how they treat him. And some of that, here's the good news. Your dog didn't, didn't take years and years and years of abuse. It was just a few months. So um, that's one of the reasons why it probably gets along with dogs because, you know, it didn't have those bad interactions with dogs. It sees dogs as a, a sense of comfort, uh, sees you as a sense of comfort, but it doesn't see other people. So if you can get, and, and here's the great news is obviously you made that connection almost instantly with Dylan. So Dylan um, has the capacity of loving human beings very easily. You just got to get that trust established and give him permission to enjoy the interaction that he gets from other human beings. And that permission that you're going to give him is through confidence, repetition, making sure to sure up these other resource guarding, um, his separation anxiety. And, you know, you got to start with structure and discipline in your house, establishing those leadership roles, making sure that you're stern, only rewarding the, the right behaviors and the right mindset, and then leaving for very short periods of time and getting him to understand that you're always coming back when you do have him around people, make sure that those people aren't walking up to him. Make sure that um, the first couple times that he's meeting new people, that that he comes into the room with them already there. Um, you know, they give him rewards when he's in the correct mindset, not when he's alerted, not right away, but when he calms down and and he's good with those people and he's he he doesn't even care that they're there. He gets rewarded. Okay, make sure that you test his eyesight, throw him some treats and see if he can catch him in his mouth. Because if a dog, especially a dog that's encountered trauma and has some some issues with its depth perception or sight where it, it, it can't identify who that person is, because dogs, they are react. They recognize you based on the silhouette of your body. That's why if you like put on a 10 gallon hat and walk in the room, your dog will bark at you because your silhouette changed. Or if you buy a big winter coat with a, with a hood on it, your silhouette changed enough that dog could react to it. So understand what your dog's triggers are, understand where you can set your dog up for success. And if you understand what the triggers are and where your dog fails most of the time, do not set it up to fail. If you said that, hey, I go to the dog park and he's cool with all the men and women there, that's a good place to make sure that if he's comfortable there, that when he's in the right mindset, these people reward him with treats, that these people interact with him in a positive way and make sure that you segregate him from people that are abusive, people that are giving bad vibes, uh, humans that just, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, humans that just, that you know the dogs aren't gonna like avoid those people do your best to avoid those people because you do don't want to reinforce any of that bad conditioning that he might be right that people are not to be trusted so that's the best advice that I can give you uh Lee is um I think your heart's in the right place I know you're doing as as good as you can but uh, the only other little nugget that I'm going to give you since you mentioned your wife is you got to make sure you guys are on the same sheet of music and whatever discipline and structure that one has, the other one has to have it too. There has to be consistency in the house and there has to be repercussions to your dog not acting correctly. You don't hit it, especially an abused dog. And in an abused dog, you might not even want to use a prong collar because um, it, it could have, it could make it more reactive. So you're going to have to get creative and see what works with your dog. With Romulus, just kind of being pissed at him and making him go sit in the corner, he'll get his feelings hurt and he'll, he'll come around. I, you know, that, that hard correction with, you know, grabbing him by the scruff of the neck or you're, you're grabbing a choke collar or something like that doesn't work with this breed. Um, and if you're too heavy handed with your discipline, 
uh, this breed tends to shut down a little bit, even if they haven't, uh, uh, you know, encountered any abuse. So, um, lots of positive reinforcement, make sure you're reinforcing the behaviors that you want, the mindset that you want. Do not, I repeat, do not reward that dog with the negative, um, or with the wrong thing. People don't realize this, but when your dog runs up and barks and then that person leaves the room, that dog was just rewarded because they go, I'm afraid of this person. I barked and snapped and they walked away. So now I know how to get people to go away. I bark and snap. So it's very hard to to rewire that because they're already convinced that's what they have to do is they even think, hey, I tear up this house and then my owner comes back. (laughs) I mean, dogs, you got to remember, they're not rocket scientists. They're dogs. They're instinctual animals and they learn um, in in different ways than you and I learn. Um, But that's also a good thing because you can rewire them, you know, fairly easily if you do it correctly. So you don't want them to think, I start destroying the house, you come home. That's why I said, hey, you know, have that camera up where you can see what that dog's doing. Um, if you have two, what I tell you is FaceTime, call your you know, spouse, FaceTime, set up the camera, leave so you can watch it live. And once your dog starts being reactive um, and, and you, you start to see the, the cues that it might start tearing something up, come home before it does that. Uh, wait for it to be calm, reward it, and then leave again, and then just come back maybe a little bit earlier when you know before they start um, reacting and then start moving the time up. Because what you don't want to do is if your dog goes and starts tearing up a pillow, then you walk in, they go, oh, all I got to do is tear up this pillow and all of a sudden my owner shows up. (laughs) I mean, you'd be surprised what dogs think. Um, You know, the whole Pavlov's dog is a real thing. You know, if um, you can train your dog in in, in a lot of different ways, that's the good and the bad. I have that motto, always be training, because you always are training. You don't realize what you're doing and what you're tr- what you're telling your dog to do with your body language, with your mannerisms. Like most people, I was, I was talking to a friend the other day uh, about training his dog, and I said, you don't even realize that sometimes when you give a command to come that you're pointing your finger or you're making a gesture and what the dog is actually conditioned to isn't your voice, isn't the command, but the gesture that you're making. So if you ever wonder that, just make the gesture and see what your dog does without the voice. And then do the voice without the gesture. And nine times out of 10, that dog is going to react to that gesture before just the words. So when I say you're always training, you got to really get rid of your bad habits. You got to see what inconsistencies that you have in your daily activities that you're reinforcing reactivity, reinforcing resource guarding, reinforcing separation anxiety, and not even knowing it. I don't know your life. I'm not there. I I just read your email. So I don't know what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. You really got to pay attention to each other. If it's you and your wife, then you have an advantage because you guys could be helping each other out by saying, hey, you were a little inconsistent here, or I noticed when you gave this command, you were doing this, or you rewarded in the wrong time, or, um, you know, whatever, whatever those things are, you just got to make sure that you are consistent. Consistency is key to victories in training. If you are inconsistent, you know, you've heard that saying, practice makes, doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. It's true. Practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. So if you practice it wrong, you're gonna be learning it wrong. And it's gonna you're gonna develop a bad habit unintentionally in yourself and in with your dog. So just try um, to get back to the fundamentals, establish that good leadership where that dog starts to get confidence that you know what you're doing, set them up for success, take them places where you know that your dog's going to have good interactions, not negative, taking them to work and having all those negative interactions all day with people is actually reinforcing the wrong thing. It's conditioning your dog and reconditioning and reinforcing that it has to be 
protective and defensive. As long as you bring your dog to work and it's and and those are its interactions, nothing's ever going to get better. So, um, when you have time off, it's imperative that you work on these things, and it's imperative that when your dog is reactive, that you got to find somebody that can help you out. That when your dog snaps, they don't just leave because that rewards your dog. If you can get them to stay and you can get control over your dog and, you know, on a leash and have them not leave the room, he can bark and growl all he wants. Mate, let him bark and growl. As soon as he calms down, as soon as Dylan just chills out because he's going to get exhausted, it might take 10 seconds, it could take 10 minutes. But as soon as he lays down, then you reward him. As soon as his he's calm, reward him. Then... When he sees that person's not a threat, let him off the leash. Let him sniff the person. The person doesn't even acknowledge Dylan. Once Dylan is laying there and he's comfortable again, then give him another treat. Then have the person give him a treat. Have the person call Dylan over and sit and give him a treat. There's ways that you can condition in a positive way with those same people, but you're never going to do it as long as they are going the other direction and Dylan is is having those things in his head, those instincts of, yeah, I'm right about these people because I bark and they leave and that's what I need to continue to do. If he knows barking and biting at people isn't going to solve the problem, then he's going to start coming up with other solutions or he's going to start changing his mindset, realizing that maybe, oh, maybe I was overreacting because... Obviously, they're not. There's nothing to be scared of because this person's been sitting here for, you know, 30 minutes and nothing bad has happened. Okay, so um, hopefully, I I was able to break down some of the things that you need to do. Um, obviously, there's lots of little tips and tricks, but the like I said, the best advice that I could give anybody ever is you got to be honest um, and self-assess what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And you got to be consistent. Consistency is key. And being in that structured environment all the time, boosting your dog's confidence, setting them up for success, and making sure you don't reward the wrong behavior. And you're well on your way to Dylan having kind of remapping his brain to what it should have been all along if he if he didn't go through this horrific abuse. Um you know, I'm not a, a super emotional guy, but the thing that always gets me is dog abuse. Um, when I know a dog is mistreated or I see someone mistreating a dog, I mean, that tugs at my heartstrings harder than anything. Um, when I see dogs that are abandoned um, on the streets, when I see dogs that are terrified of other human beings, it crushes my soul. It really does. Um, so thank you, Lee, for rescuing uh, Dylan, you gave him a second shot at life because Connie Corso rescues. I can tell you right now, um, and this hits close to home for me because Romulus is a large, aggressive black dog. And if you look at statistical data, the dogs that people do not adopt first are big dogs. Large dogs do not get adopted. Second, Aggressive dogs do not get adopted. Third, black dogs do not get adopted. Those three things are the top. The top color that does not get adopted, black. The top size, large. Obviously, if they show any kind of aggression, they're barking through the fence or those people, those dogs are not getting adopted. So if Romulus goes to a pound or a shelter, He's never getting adopted and he's going to be put down because no one's going to adopt him. And there's a lot of Corsos that are like him, that they're they're distrusting of strangers. They're big. They seem intimidating. And because of their their coats um, and just the way they look, it, it sucks. Um, and so we have an obligation to this breed. We have an obligation to our dogs to being the best dog owners we can. We can. So we raise awareness of this breed. We show that that this breed has the most responsible dog owners uh, with this breed, um, that this breed isn't uh, to be feared but respected, 
and um, we want to make sure to to give happy households because this dog, I'm telling you, you're never going to feel love like you do from a Cane Corso um, from any other dog. You just you're just not going to. And I know that that sounds biased, but um, I'm not a lifelong Cane Corso owner. I've only had a Cane Corso for a little over three years, um, but I've had many, many other dog breeds my entire life. And uh, this is a very, very special breed. So hopefully I helped you out, Lee. Hopefully I've helped somebody else out there. As always, if you want to reach out, if you have a question, I think Lee went to my website and, and sent me an email uh, a footpodcast.com where uh, I do my other podcast where I do this one. Um, and I, I know there's like a contact button there, but the easiest way to contact me, find me on Instagram, the Cane Corso X on Instagram. You can see all the cool pictures and videos of some of the things I talk about. If I'm doing some kind of training stuff, um, it's mostly pictures of Romulus and his jolly ball. <laughs> um, but you know, I'll put up videos of me walking him and socializing him with with cattle <laughs> and things of that nature. But um, yeah, hit me up on Instagram. It's probably the best, easiest way. You could always find me at uh, afootpodcast at gmail.com is, is, is uh, an email address that I use for all my podcasts. Uh, Facebook, Johnny Doe on Facebook. Um, the Connie Corso Experience on Facebook. There's various ways. The easiest way is email or Instagram. Um, thank you guys for your continued support. Feel free to share this with a friend, especially if they're having issues with their dog and you feel like there's any relevancy um, that I covered on this, um, on whatever topic that they're they're having issues with. And maybe there's like a dog park episode or a, a reactivity episode and say, hey, I know this is about Connie Corsos and you've got a German Shepherd, but hey, this is relevant. I'm going to share this with you. Don't hesitate to do that because as dog owners, we got to have each other's backs. We got to help each other out. Um, it's it, it can be difficult for the uninitiated, but once you get good at it and you feel competent and you feel confident, you're always going to have a great relationship with your dog. So till next time, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for the continued support. And please be kind to man's best friend. Peace. Well, guys, you have entered the Kanye Corso experience. <laughs>